0: Right, the book of Hosea. We've come to another minor prophet, as they're called. The book of Hosea is mostly a series of poems. Some of them are very beautiful. Some of them are, quite frankly, shocking. They were written by this man, Hosea, over a period of about 25 years And they were gathered together, we can imagine them being gathered together by an unnamed author who who speaks significantly at the end of the book. Chapter 14 is this unnamed author who comes in as a kind of postscript to the poems where he's urging the people to respond to this message from Hosea's poems by confessing their sins and turning back into right and beautiful relationship with God. Now, I'm not sure. You know, Hosea wasn't one of those minor prophets who went ranting and raving around the place like some of the others. And I'm not quite sure how these (laughs) poems might have been shared. Maybe Hosea recited them in public places. Uh, Maybe others did. But they were out there and they were playing a really important part in speaking prophetically into truly terrible times. So the main sin that is being highlighted in Hosea's poems is sexual promiscuity, general debauchery, unfaithfulness between married partners and the consequent breakdown of family life and society. It's absolutely out there. It's shocking. And this kind of, this, this idea, this picture of, of sexual promiscuity kind of functions in these poems and also in Hosea's life because there is some narrative here as well in, a, in three different ways and these ways intermingle. We'll come to that in a minute. <clears throat> but the big the overwhelming theme of Hosea has been one which has been coming through our songs this morning. So the idea of God pursuing us, pursuing his people with outrageous love. He loves his people with a reckless, utterly faithful love. You know, think about the good shepherd in the New Testament. Going to any lengths to find the wanderer, to find the lost sheep. And that's like a banner over Hosea. That's what God is like. This is with the characteristic of God that is being really highlighted here. Now, you know, there's a common saying, isn't there, that actions speak louder than words. Well, that's what's going on for Hosea personally. He's a poet, as we've said. That's his way of communicating But he is also, as God's prophet, called to act out a shocking living parable. As a way of showing people in dramatic detail how very badly they are living. How much they have angered and saddened God. But how God still longs to forgive them and restore them because of his never-ending love. Now, Andy and I once had what I think of as an immense privilege of listening to someone within our family circle. It's one of our son's um, mother-in-law, actually. And she was telling her personal story to his family, to the children, and to Andy and I who were there, of her time between about six when she was 16 and 20. She's Indian. And she was with the Sisters of Mercy under Mother Teresa in Calcutta. It was really an amazing time. I'll never forget the way she talked about how Mother Teresa lived out out her belief that Christ is in the hurting and the forgotten and the destitute and that is what motivated her whole life and this was a kind of eyewitness account we were getting from a lady Mother Teresa preached who Christ is through her actions actions speak louder than words even I remember This lady speaking to us about Mother Teresa taking uh, a dead, abandoned, newborn baby from a dustbin and honouring it as a person in the image of Christ. Now, Hosea was called to be that kind of person. He was called by God to act out something fundamental about the nature and extent of God's love and also about how God feels emotionally about his people. So I'm going to read from Hosea chapter 1, the beginning, the very first three verses. Oh, I see, this is where it's problematic. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Beery, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah were kings of Judah and Jeroboam of Jehoash was king of Israel. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute some, uh, some Bibles translate that as prostitute some as a promiscuous woman it, it, some of it is a bit some of the translation a little bit unclear go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshipping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. But it's not a very happy situation. It isn't all sorted there. You kind of know this is not going to end well, don't you? (laughs) And uh, Goma doesn't change. She turns back, her back, on the warmth and safety and the faithful love and the physical provision that Hosea is providing for her. And after having three children, she returns to her old life. And we know that because in chapter 3... And verses 1 to 3, this is what it says. And this is Hosea speaking, uh, not in poetry, as his narrative, as he's telling his story. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel Even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. And then I said to her, You must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even with me. I don't know, there might be people here who've never heard this before. This This is the Bible. This is God in our mess. Can you imagine the scandal? The gossip? Hey, have you heard what Hosea's done? He's married Goma, you know. And then later, well, you never guess what's happened now. He's taking her back. He's actually mad. But, you know, Goma's behaviour, you see, was not actually that unusual in this place at this time. In chapter four, this is what we read. This is going into, into Hosea's poetic way of putting out there, saying, this is what the land is like. This is what this society is like. Verse one, hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord has brought charges against you. There is no faithfulness No kindness, no knowledge of God in this land. And carrying on down to verse 12. They ask a piece of wood for advice. They think a stick can tell them the future. Longing after idols has made them foolish. They have played the prostitute, serving other gods and deserting their God. So you see, the idea and practice of sexual promiscuity is playing out in these three interconnected ways. There's a literal sense in which this society, in this society, it's rife and accepted and is even part of the worship of foreign gods. It is normalised. Oh, I didn't quite finish reading what I wanted to read. I'm going to read a bit more in chapter 4 so that you can see that. Verse 13, They they offer sacrifices to idols on the mountaintops. They go to the hills to burn incense in the pleasant shade of oaks, poplars and terebinth trees. And that is why your daughters turn to prostitution and your daughters-in-law commit adultery. But why should I punish them for their prostitution and adultery? For your men are doing the same thing, sinning with whores and prostitutes. Oh, you foolish people, you refuse to understand, so you will be. Destroyed. This is a society in which this kind of behaviour, completely immoral, anything goes, has been normalised. That's the first sense in which this is working in this, in this book. The second sense is the literal one that we've read about in which Hosea, in marrying a woman of questionable morals and remaining faithful to her, no matter how she carries on, even caring for the children of, that have been conceived outside of their marriage. Hosea is a living parable. So he has, he's sacrificed himself. He's on this altar. He has done this thing. He is living this out. And in doing so, he is showing, one, how utterly depraved, Israel's behaviour is, and two, how utterly faithful God's love is. And the third kind of arena in which this whole idea of sexual promiscuity is being used is metaphorical, in the sense that God, as Israel's true husband, has been abandoned. That is the message that God is seen as a faithful husband to Israel and that they have turned their back on him and trampled his goodness into the ground. God's wonderful love, all he has done, all he has provided is being thrown back in his face. The people are portrayed as prostituting themselves to other gods, exchanging the glory and wonder and wholesomeness of God for the shame of idols. God is faithful. They are going here, there and everywhere seeking gratification wherever they can find it. Now, there are... A variety of pictures in the Bible, we think about the New Testament, of God's love for his people. So in Luke chapter 13, verse 34, we have this Jesus saying these words Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often have I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. That's kind of like a, a mother love, isn't it? That's God showing that motherly love. And then we have the story, the famous story of the prodigal son, that Jesus tells, in which the father is watching out for his boy and when he sees him, runs, puts his arms around him and throws a party because he's returned. That's kind of a, that's father love, isn't it? In Hosea chapter 11, actually, although the main kind of love that we're looking at, which we'll come to see in more detail, in Hosea is a husband's love his wife we do have a really beautiful uh, piece of poetry in in chapter 11 where where God's love as a father to his child is being mm-hmm. being shown and portrayed in verse one it says when Israel was a child I loved him I called my son out of Egypt And then going to verse 3, I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand. But he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck and I myself stooped to feed him doesn't know or even care. It's really lovely. And verse eight and nine. Oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel. I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you. I will not come to destroy. But another picture that we do have in the New Testament is Christ as the, as, as the church, as the bride of Christ. So that's that picture of husband and wife, husband and bride. And that's what we've really mostly got in Hosea. And it's pretty startling. It quite takes your breath away that God is pictured as a loving, faithful husband, longing and yearning for his wife and for a loving response. In chapter two, this is and uh, verse 14. And this is within the context of God being understandably angry with the way his people are living. And this is what he comes to. But then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. When that day comes, said the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. O Israel, I will wipe the many names of Baal from your lips and you will never mention them again. On that day, I will make a covenant with all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground so they will not harm you. I will remove all weapons of war from the land, all swords and bows so you can live unafraid in peace and safety. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as the Lord. In that day I will answer, says the Lord, I will answer the sky as it pleads for clouds. And the sky will answer the earth with rain. And the earth will answer the thirsty cries of the grain and the grapevines and the olive trees. And they in turn will answer, Jezreel, God plants. At that time I will plant a crop of Israelites and raise them up for myself. I will show love. To those I called not loved and to those I called not my people, I will say, now you are my people and they will reply, you are hope you can see from that. It's a picture of romantic love. God's love is so much more powerful than our sin. That is our hope. He is angry with his people, but he can't stay that way. He will always pursue them. And the idea that I will be your husband, not your master. That word master is the word that is translated Baal, the the false god that the people were going after. And God's desire, you can see there, there's this longing in this passage, is to bless his people, to cause them to flourish, to do them good. God's longing for relationship and heartache At his people's faithlessness. Now this this faithlessness is expressed in various powerful and shocking ways through this book. There's no hiding the truth. And Hosea doesn't try to in many ways. It's not dressed up in polite language. And in many ways, the poetic form, really, it comes over even more powerfully. So in chapter 5, verses 3, we have, "'I know what you are like, O Ephraim. "'You cannot hide yourself from me, O Israel.' You have left me as a prostitute leaves her husband. You are utterly defiled. Your deeds won't let you return to God. You're a prostitute through and through. You do not know the Lord. And in verse 7 of that same chapter, they have betrayed the honor of the Lord, bearing children that are not his. Now their false religion will devour them along with their wealth. Now another big recurring refrain that goes through this whole book is this thing about no knowledge of God and there's a real depth of meaning in that. There's the knowledge, it's intimate knowledge, it's not just knowing about someone, it's really knowing them. And 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 it's continued. You just don't know me. You just don't get it. In um, chapter 7, verses 1 to 11, this is a, a passage which is really bringing out the degradation into which these people have sunk. I want to heal Israel, but its sins are too great. Samaria is filled with liars. Thieves are on the inside, bandits on the outside. It's people don't realise I'm watching them. Their simple deeds are all around them. I see them all. The people entertain their king with wickedness. Princes laugh at their lies. They are all adulterers, always aflame with lust. They are like an oven that's kept hot while the baker is kneading the dough. On royal holidays, the princes get drunk with wine, carousing with those who mock them. Their hearts are like an oven, blazing with intrigue. Their plot smoulders through the night, and in the morning it breaks out like a raging fire. Burning like an oven, they consume their leaders, they kill their kings, one after another, and no one cries to me for help. The people of Israel mingle with godless foreigners, making themselves as worthless as a half-baked cake. Worshipping foreign gods has sapped their strength and they don't even know it. Their hair is grey and they don't realise they're old and weak. Their arrogance testified against them, yet they don't return to the Lord their God or even try to find him. The people of Israel have become like silly Witless doves. Well, I don't know about you, but it doesn't sound that unfamiliar. But there's hope. Don't worry. Stay with me here. In 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 chapter eight, verse seven, there's this there's this um, metaphor in which uh, Hosea says, "You they've planted the wind and harvested a." Whirlwind. I didn't say that very well. They've planted the wind and harvested a whirlwind. So it's the idea that you plant something and you don't realize what the consequences are going to be, but the consequences are going to be out of your control. Now, obviously, we've got Hosea in the middle of this, living it all out, personally suffering from having his ordinary human physical love trampled in the mud and so it's really powerful when he says in chapter 6 verses 1 to 3 this cry to the people come let us return to the Lord you know and Hosea is longing for Gomer to return to him and return with faithfulness and return with honor Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. Now he will heal us. He has injured us. Now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. It's a cry of his heart. If only we could know God. And then he goes on to say, let us press on. To know him, he will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn, as the comings of rain in the early spring. So there's this cry, come on, it doesn't need to be like this. We don't need to be in this mess. And in verse six of chapter six, he says, God is saying, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifice.'" sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. God, is it, you, you, know, you just don't get it. You're trying to do this and this and this. No, what I want is a heart response from you. And that's it, isn't it? Bottom line, mankind's greatest sin, mankind's greatest failure is not knowing God and therefore not loving him and not being able to worship him rightly. That's the message of Hosea, nearly. <laughs> Where does it leave us this morning? Well, you know, sometimes I'd really think, I'd like to go around and say, well, what are you thinking? <laughs> you know, and, and there might be something different from every single one of you. That would be great to do that, I reckon, uh, one morning. Um, But I imagine that somebody would say, well, uh, you know, our world's not much different from this. Not much different from Hosea's world. Sometimes you hear people say, oh, things are getting terrible. Well, (laughs) I don't think so. No more terrible than they have been in the past. It sounds very familiar, the chaos The immorality and the normalisation of anything goes. The celebration of what is base rather than what is beautiful. And so on and so on and so on. So it is heartening to see that there are answers. There's a way out. There's always hope. And there's a really beautiful, straightforward call, I think, to to these people and to us this morning. Uh, and, and And it's got a promise within. It's in chapter 10 and verse 12. I really love this. Plant seeds, plant the good seeds of righteousness, and you'll harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. For now is the time to seek the Lord, and he will come and shower righteousness upon you. So it's a sort of counterpoint, isn't it? To plant the wind, harvest a whirlwind, plant, what was it, plant seeds of righteousness and gather a crop of love. It's a really straightforward thing, isn't it? What should we be doing living as we do in our world now? well, plant seeds of righteousness. Plant them everywhere you go. Goodness, that knowledge of God. Plant them where you go and it, and love will grow. That's a really wonderful thing. And that's our calling to live out who God is. That's what Hosea was doing. He was living out a, an aspect of the character of God at great expense to himself. We need to live out who God is to know him ourselves, to press on to know him better. I was thinking um, about that old prayer, to see him more clearly, to love him more, yeah. to follow him more yeah. day by day. Oh, that we might see him more clearly, love him more dearly, follow him more nearly day by day. That, these are simple answers They were simple answers for the people in Hosea's time. They're simple answers for us. So, as I said, the the nameless compiler of Hosea's poems um, gets his own little bit at the end of the book. And in chapter 14, he basically says, well, here's Hosea's words. And this is what he did in his life. And he kind of says, come on, what should we all be doing as a result of listening to Hosea? It's a really, really lovely chapter, chapter 14. He says, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us, so that we may offer you our praises. It's a simple answer, everybody. Return to God. And in um, verses eight to nine, this is the last two verses of the whole book. Oh, Israel, stay away from idols. An idol is anything that you put in the place where God should be. Stay away from idols. Put God back where he should be. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. This is God speaking. I am like a tree that is always green. All your fruit comes from me. We know this, don't we? We can run around trying to get what we need here, there and everywhere. But at the end of the day, everything we need is in God. I am like a tree that is always green, and all your fruit comes from me. Let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. God longs for us. He longs for us like a husband longs for a wife. That's the shocking, outrageous aspect of God's love. He longs for the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that love took Jesus to the cross. That's what it cost. And his love is so much more powerful than our deepest, most degraded sin. Nothing Goma could do would change Hosea's determination to love her. That is radical love. And it was a scandalous demonstration of the lengths that God would go to and still goes to. Praise him. Can you stand with me as as we pray? And do you wanna come forward? God, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts That you have not abandoned us. That you are not silent. Help us to truly know you and to really listen to what you want to say to each one this morning. And we thank you that mostly what you want to say is, I love you. I will always love you. I will never stop loving you. I will always forgive you when you return to me. I will always restore you. Lord, help us to respond to your love with our own love. We thank you that you've not given up on our world in all its mess. Help us to celebrate your faithful love and to find ways, Lord, to be your hands and your feet and to be Christ in the world that we go into and in which we live. In Jesus' name. Amen.